have a uh, lot of friends who are ministers, and the, 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 the amount of mess that they deal with on a regular basis. You know, I have, have like, well, yeah, there's people complaining about my kids and how my kids dress. Oh, goodness. Then they should come dress my kids. Um, I have people talking about, uh, like, ministers who get complaints about so many different things. And I, every time I talk to them, I, it, you know how stories work? You know, where they'll, they'll tell a story and then they'll just sort of let a, um, a space for you to tell a story. And I've got nothing. You know, the same thing happens for me. And, like, Andrew Westfall will be telling me about the football days. And then this happened. They were, we were playing football, and then I, I'm, I hit a guy, and he died. You know, and <laughs> that, that's Andrew will tell me that story, and I'm like, I once was playing the snare drum at halftime. <laughs> it was really cold, and I hit my finger; it hurt a little. You just feel like and be like, hey, well, tell me more, Uncle Andrew. Like that's all I, I feel like a kid. Not having a story to tell, and, and I, I, but in in those situations with ministers, I like having not having stories to tell about you um, griping about um, us and or the church. People coming in say, oh, you know, this church should be different because of it." Y'all aren't y'all aren't like that, and at least the ones of you I like aren't like that, and that's <laughs> that's really nice of you. And one of the things, uh, but. A complaint that no church, no church is um, is immune to, and all the song leaders know this, asking you to stand when you're not mentally prepared for it. <laughs> there's been times, Johnny did, I was waiting for Johnny to do it today, and it didn't happen, but there's been times, David, it's been a prayer. Y'all were standing during a prayer, and everyone's here. And David said, keep standing, and you can just hear your leg muscles make a noise that comes up your, up your diaphragm and out your vocal. Oh. <laughs> you were grown-ups, and you were just told, like, my kids get upset whenever we're, they're told they can't do something. Nolan has started growling at us. Ugh. But you're grown-ups just being told you can't sit down yet. You're going to get to sit down for the majority of the services, but not yet. And, uh, what's funny is you'll go home and you'll be like, that song, and say it seriously. That song leader made us stand for three more minutes than I was prepared to. <laughs> yeah, it sounds tough. You should get a Medal of Honor for standing up that long. But... Every, every, but everyone's like it. It's not that like you're bad. I'm the same way. Um, I, I remember as a uh, as a kid, I'd go to these youth rallies, and there was a song we sang at youth rallies called um, "I'm Gonna Feast at the Banquet Table." Oh yeah, it was like back when youth groups tried to be soulful. And then they there was one. The end was a song called the the last verse was "I'm Gonna Sing and Never Get Tired." I'm gonna sing and never get tired. One of these days. One of these days. And the song leaders would sing that verse five times. Not noting that the end of that verse says, one of these days. 
not today. I am singing and tired today. But we like our comforts. I'm the same way. We like to be comfortable. Have you ever thought about doing something and then didn't for no reason? I thought it was a good thing. You think, you know what, I should do that. Nah. That I'm going to do that. I'm going to have these people over. I'm going to go visit this person. I'm going to call this person. I thought about you today. I'm going to call you. Nah. All the good things have good reasons. The nah usually has nothing. We would much rather be comfortable than happy. We would much rather be comfortable, like have all of our comforts just sort of supported, than do an uncomfortable thing that is actually going to bring us more joy, that's going to have a new experience, a different, um, something you're going to learn something, you're going to, we'd much rather just stay in our rut, stay where we're comfortable. I don't have the I don't have control of the slides, so if you can progress them, we'll be in Song of Songs today. Song of Songs is a um, a fun little book of poetry, and it can be very erotic at times. It can be very romantic, and there's an assumed within this context an assumed eroticism and romanticism. And there's an assumed intimacy between the characters. Now, sometimes it's more than assumed. <laughs> sometimes it's just blatant, blatantly stated. But I cannot find this at the same time as I'm talking. So everyone be quiet for a second. <laughs> Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, First Judges, First Judges. You know, sometimes they call it Song of Songs. I, I'm, I'm having a complete mental breakdown. I'm getting old. I know Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. There we are. Song of Songs. Found it probably faster than the rest of you. But there's, there's this play between... Our preacher doesn't know his Bible all that well. There's a, there's a play between uh, a man and a woman, and uh, and sometimes the man is speaking, sometimes the woman is speaking, and then oftentimes there's a chorus of people. So do you remember um, like the musicals of of the of yesteryear, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, about kidnapping, that movie, where they just go out and they find. These seven brothers live in the hills, and they go and they find some women, and they're going court, and going court, and big, big, which courting apparently means just kidnapping. They just beat guys over the head and steal the girls and bring them across the pass before the snow falls, and then the girls have to sort of live with it. It's a, it's, it's like, it's, it's about being kidnapped and following in love with your kidnapper. There's a syndrome about that. Or, but throughout that, people are just singing for no reason. That's why musicals are so strange is that someone, just, someone's walking down the street and they have a song and some, someone bursts out of the baker's door and says, I have a couple of notes, and then they go back in. That's how it works here. You'll, and it's not really set out in the text if you're just reading your Bible. Some Bibles will divide it for you, but others will not. 
So we'll kind of we'll we'll divide it here. The first, the man is speaking, and he says of the woman, "How beautiful!" Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh and my spice. I have eaten honeycomb and my and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. I am ready for bed. And he, but he says, I, I've worked. I smell good. I have, my stomach is full. My brain is probably not fully functioning. And I'm coming to your place. And all of his friends, the chorus behind him says, eat, friend, and drink. Drink your fill of love. Okay, chorus, that's awkward. But yeah, I'll go do that. And then she, cut to her. He's walking through the streets, going to find his love. And you cut to her. The people are singing him on. Go, have your fill, they say. I, and she says, I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. And he says, open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. Now look at what she says. I have taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I have washed my feet. Must I soil them again? So he's come in the dew of night. Is not, she's half asleep. Is knocking on the door. And he says, hey, you know, I've had my wine and my milk. And she says, just put in my retainer. <laughs> but okay. But look what happens. Verse 4. My beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening in the door there. And my heart began to pound for him. So she was uncomfortable. And hesitant. Or she was comfortable. Hesitated because of her comfort. And then uh, decided he was uh, sticking his hand through the latch is like sticking your, your kid's hands under the door. You know, hey, I know you're in there. Stuck his hand through the latch. Verse 5, I rose to open for my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh. My fingers with the flowing myrrh, I smelt good too on the hands of the bolt. So the writer here is actually doing a very beautiful thing in which he's not just saying... And then I went to the door and opened it. She's saying, my, my hands smell good and they are resting on the handle of the bolt. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. My, my heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. She gets in trouble for this in the next verse. The watchmen, the men who just walk around the city found me as they made their rounds in the city. See, if, or, there's an earlier passage where she's out looking for her beloved and um, she's just looking for him and she asks the watchman and they don't know either. But here she's walking around going, Beloved! beloved, and they, and they don't like that. She's making too much of a noise, too much of a fuss. And so they beat her. They bruised her. They took away her cloak those watchmen of the walls. Verse 8 says, 
daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. I think we have a tendency to give up true love, whether it be in our relationships or whether it be with God. Because that moment instinct of, but I'm comfortable. And this does not have to apply, like this particular poem is strictly late night television. Like it's not, this is, this is the rated R section of the book, or at least it would have been if it had gone the way it chose. But it doesn't have to be just that. It can apply to that. The, the, just this base level of, um, of love that can happen in a marriage is important to the marriage and is not okay to just dismiss it because I'm, I'm already comfortable. But there's so many things in our life, in our relationships, in our relationship with God that we could do better Obviously, there are things we could improve, and people sometimes will say that just dismissing it, saying, well, you know, obviously we could improve on some things, but we don't. I mean, obviously, I could get, it, we could do better. We could communicate better. Obviously, like I could tell her how I feel instead of just hoping he or she guesses how I feel. Obviously, I could ask her, ask him what he's thinking, ask him. And listen, like, if, if you ask your husband what he's thinking and he says nothing, most of the time, that's true. Just nothing. Like bongo noises, nothing. That's fine. It's just your men don't think that much. That's why for most of you, and this might not be true across the board, for most of you, um, those of you who are married, there'll be times the, your, the, the spouse, the wife is laying in the bed and she says, you know, honey, I, and like they were just talking. You were just talking. And then you start another sentence and he replies with, men can go to sleep like that. We shut down. That's why when you walk in the room and he's watching TV, you're like, hey, honey, can you take, off the, take out the garbage? And then you walk out, that's your fault. <laughs> he didn't hear you. His brain didn't let him hear you. His brain's off. Let, what you need to do is reboot him. Hey, honey. Hey, what? Did you take out the trash? There, now you've got him. Now you've got his attention. But you can't, that's like walking up to your computer and being like, print a document, and then walking away. It's not going to do it. You've got to reboot it. And then give it the commands. That's just the way men's brains work. We shut down. There's nothing there. And sometimes, but sometimes, you can assume that your spouse is thinking a thing. Or you can assume that they should have thought a thing and they didn't. 
It's much easier to assume that your spouse is speaking, is thinking something, than to ask them the difficult question of what you, what, what's going on in there, in the brain of yours. What are you thinking? We are so comfortable in our relationships that sometimes we just we won't do the next thing that needs to be done because it's I don't know I don't want to ask I don't know I don't want to be less comfortable than I am now in, in houses all across the country you will hear. Men and women making the same noise they made in church that Sunday when the song leader asked them to stand. Because their spouse asked them to do something. Keep that to yourself. We have worshipped the God of comfort for too long. And the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who rescued his people from Egypt, the God who sent his sons down the cross, who brought him out of the grave, resurrected him, the God who is with us, that we worship today, is calling us to a life that isn't comfortable. That's not one that's easy. That's not one that the, the reason good Christian marriages are good marriages is because they're, they have good Christians in them. And good Christians are okay with being uncomfortable. You, you will be comfortable in the kingdom of heaven. You will rest when you die. But you should spend your days in such devotion to the relationships around you, in such devotions in devotion to the God who, who has sent you out to be his mission, to be his priest in this world. We are a kingdom of priests to God. We are all the ministers of God's word. And we are called to do important and serious things. Loving your neighbor is an important and serious thing. Forgiving your enemy, praying for those who persecute you are important and serious things, but they're not comfortable things. They're not easy things. They're hard things to do. And by the end of your day, you should be tired because it's hard work being a Christian. It's hard work being a parent. It's hard work being a, being a spouse. It's hard work being a kid. Be tired at the end of the day. Because you have decided that I'm going to I'm going to break through that comfort barrier over and over again. So what's the thing that makes you comfortable? Is it sitting in your chair when you get home? Is it talking to that person at work that you probably shouldn't go out of your way to talk to? Developing an unhealthy relationship. What 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 makes you comfortable? God is not the God of comfort. You can sleep good at night. Stop relaxing during the day. Stop giving in to comfort. And ah, It's hard to be married and be selfless. It's, it's hard to not get your way. Don't just ask children about that. Ask adults. Watch the fits we throw when not just... Like things around us don't go our way, but when just tiny things, big, even big things that we can't even control don't go our way. We're losing our mind over this or that. 
if I, um, I would do an impression of modern 24-hour news channels, but I don't have enough kerosene to light myself on fire and run around the room. That's what it feels like all the time. Oh, no! Just on, people on fire. That's what it should be. Just people on fire running around that desk saying, this is the end of the world. Okay, turn that off. That's not good for your brain. It's not good for you. We, we are called to, to not flip out about big stuff, to not flip out about the little stuff and someone pulls out in front of you, Why does that bother us? You're driving from Mineral Springs to Nashville, from Nashville to Mineral Springs. It's a six-mile drive. Someone pulls out in front of you and starts going 54, Lord help them. You're going to get there about 30 seconds later than you did before. No big deal. What we're really upset about is that I have been interrupted. My comfort has been interrupted. And I would argue that if you're going to love properly, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going, it's going to have moments of friction in it, and a lot of them, a lot of moments of friction. That's why uh, the, the, the premarital counseling thing is so fun. Uh, I send out an assessment uh, that, that asks Newly married people, whenever I'm doing premarital counseling, I send out an assessment that says, what? Uh, they, they, it basically makes sure they're communicating and they're on the same page. A lot of times they're not on the same page. But there's like five or six questions throughout the assessment that, um, that, is looking, that are looking for something. And the questions go like this. Everything I have learned about my fiancé has been positive. I have never argued or disagreed with, and they're, and the, so the answers are strongly disagree or strongly agree. And on, they're always put, oh, strongly, we have never even fought. I love that. Because I'm going to get them in there and be like, hey, so what are y'all doing for Christmas next year? I just it just takes one or two questions. How often is your mom going to be staying at y'all's house when you have a child? One or two questions, and, the, and all of a sudden, this couple, I've never learned anything that did not despair my soul. <laughs> They're not paying attention to the... Unco- like, the job of good counselors is to teach them how to fight. To teach them... The problem with... With, with men, often, is we'll say, you know, happy wife, happy life. Oh, you, you sound excited when you say that. You sound like you have a real happy life. Happy life, happy wife. That sounds like joy personified. Rainbows are coming out of your ears, man. You need to calm down that marriage. Get a room or something. This is nuts. 
That's not, men don't, men never sound happy when they're saying that. And to be honest, women, women, when they ask you what you're thinking, they want to know. They don't want you to filter it through a bunch of other filters and say, well, uh, you know, just whatever you were thinking. <laughs> they want you to have an opinion. They want you to have difficult conversations. We want to have difficult conversations so that our marriage can be better, so that our relationships can be better. We want to have, here's, this is, the, this is the trick. An uncomfortable relationship is an actual relationship. It's not a plastic, glossed over, greeting card relationship. I knew from the moment I saw Rachel in college that we were probably going to go on a date. But that's about all I knew. I can go backward and romanticize it and say, I knew right then she was the one for me. Because I like curly hair and whatnot, and she's pretty. Like, that's not, that's not even, that's not, that's not real relationships. Real relationships is when you can say, I'm kind of mad at you right now. I'm, I'm sad about what you just said. Now, some of you may be in the sort of relationship where you, you're at the kitchen table and y'all need to take a break. Like one of you needs to go to the bedroom, the other one needs to um, go outside. And then you need to come back and have those intellectual discourses. But those conversations are the ones that will make your marriage, make your relationships stronger. And being uncomfortable in your relationship with God is the only way that God is going to use you and grow you. What I hear a lot is people ask the question, where is God? And I read my Bible, and it's God who's always asking the question, where are you? Remember when Abraham, not Abraham, when Moses meets God in the burning bush and God says, I have heard the cry of the people. And Mo Moses says, yeah, it's been bad. Where have you been? What have you been doing? We've been crying out for, for hundreds of years. Where have you been? And God says, I'm sending you to take care of it. And Moses says, that's not, not well, I don't ask, I don't talk so good. God is calling us to his mission, and it's more than just saying I go to church. It's more than just attending worship services. Christianity is calling you to be uncomfortable, to say and I, Christians need to be having the most awkward conversations of all people. Because bringing up Jesus in regular life is uncomfortable. And if that's the only thing keeping us from doing it, Lord, help us all. We need to be talking. Jesus got up from the grave and we need to be talking about it. More than just Easter. We will talk about it on Easter, but 
more than just Easter. We need to be saying, Jesus, Jesus resurrected. That's why I do this. Jesus is alive. Jesus is king. That's why I do this. This is why I'm being nice to you right now. I, if it weren't for Jesus, I would be kind of a jerk. We need to get, stop giving our parents credit for raising us properly and start giving Jesus credit for raising himself out of the tomb. We need to have uncomfortable, awkward conversations. We need to have uncomfortable moments where we're declaring Jesus is Lord and not not Caesar and not the world and not the government and not Walmart and not corporations and not insurance and nothing. Nothing is my God but Jesus. Nothing is my king but Jesus. Nothing can rule me and control me. And so whenever I pretend otherwise just to make the conversations go easier, Just to be a little bit more comfortable. We're saying things like, I'm already where I want to be. Do I have to get up? I've already washed my feet and hands. Do I have to get them dirty again? Love. True love. I can't ever say those three words. Love. Actual love will, will, will make us cringe. It'll make us get up when we don't want to. It'll make us stand up when we don't want to. It'll make us walk and, and talk when we want to sit and be quiet. Sometimes love will make you sit and be quiet when you want to get up and fight. Love calls us to go against our instincts and it is uncomfortable. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Are you comfortable enough to wait him out? Or is Jesus' presence in your life worth you getting up out of your seat and coming forward? Walking this way or grabbing your neighbor, someone sitting by you and saying, I need, I need somebody to pray with me. Is it worth you changing some things? Because there's got to be some things in your life that you could change. You know you got to change them, but it's just going to be too uncomfortable to do it. One of my friends had a shirt that said, Ruts become graves. You know, we need to be in a rut. Love isn't in a rut. Love calls us forward out of our comfort and into relationship. Both with each other and with God. Neither one of those relationships are going to ask us to just, you know, do what you want, feel good about it, sit down, relax. It's going to take some tough times, some awkward conversations, some hard conversations, some difficult actions. We will do the, do all those things in the name of the King, Jesus. We will be good spouses, good husbands and wives, good parents, good kids. 
good followers of Jesus. Because we're not afraid of uncomfortable moments. So we'll ask the least of you. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to renew your relationship with God, if you need the prayers of the church, if you want to give your life to Him, to Jesus, to God, be baptized into His death, burial, and resurrection, raised again to walk in the new, loving, relationship-based, uncomfortable life. Today's the day. Don't stand in the comfort of your seat and not change just because it's easier to not than to ask. Whatever you need this morning, please come forward while we stand and sing.